0: crosspoint church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor brad evangelista for more information about crosspoint visit insidecrosspoint.com how you guys doing you all right you look like i did when i got off the plane 11 o'clock at night on friday i'm a little little dreary a little little droopy but all right let's get to it my name is brad i'm one of the pastors here and um, if you've been coming to the church for the last couple of weeks, you wouldn't know that. Uh, I've been away. I was in Florida uh, marrying, uh, officiating the wedding of a young captain that came through Cross Point a few years ago in the military. And Jennifer and I had a wonderful time down there with uh, Nick Prevett and his beautiful bride, Christina. And then, as Reynolds said, we were, we were in Haiti last week. And so it is really good to be back home with you. And uh, before I begin, I just want to thank uh, Wayne and Wilfer they're just excellent messages last few weeks I had a chance to listen to Wayne's and just be so encouraged as he finished up Ephesians chapter 3 experiencing God's love if you have not listened to that message there's a copy uh, of the CD out in the foyer I really encourage you to get that and then last week, um, I, I just listened to Hawk's message a Saturday morning. And um, <laughs> here, here I got to tell you something about what Hawk and Robert cooked up for me. Um, so today we're going to finish up with Ephesians chapter 4. And the particular paragraph that we're going to look at today really, in God's providence, lines up well with some of the points that I want to make today. We're going to talk about. Uh, life together as a church in community and community groups that will be kicking off in a couple of weeks and this particular text the second half of chapter four really fit well with what i wanted to say and so i said hawk don't you know don't wander off in at past verse 10 this you know do the first 10 verses and everything will be all right and so you know he kidded me about it and Robert and will made a cd uh of 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 a second message that Will preached privately and they left it on my desk. And in that particular CD, it was Will finishing out the book of Ephesians (laughs) with like multiple heretical statements just laced within, you know, um, in it. And so they were just giddy that for me to think that maybe I would get that and then think, oh my gosh, you know, the church is ruined. Um, (laughs) So... uh, and that, that may be the case anyway, but uh, that thankfully, they didn't put that message online. Um, so anyway, uh, now you see what Reynolds and I have to deal with on a weekly basis. But hey, listen, it's so great to be back. It's um, just a joy to, to open up the Bible and to speak and to be back here with the people that I love. I'm very grateful. Um, I am flying solo today. One of my children is under the weather and so you know, mommy stayed home and the other kids jumped on the bandwagon to help her. And so it's just daddy flying solo today. So um, we're going to get to it. Well, let's do this. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible, that is uh, on page 689 of the Bible that's in the, uh, the, the seat Bible in the rack underneath you. There should be one to your right or to your left. And if you forgot your Bible today or you don't have a Bible, I would really encourage you to follow along. I think it's just a good habit to get familiar with uh, the Bible, where the books of the Bible are, and um, and, I, and I would encourage you to follow along with me. We'll have all the scriptures that I read today, which is just going to be these last few verses of Ephesians, I think, up on the screen. Well, here's what we're going to do today. Um, today, we're going to finish out Ephesians 4, and then next week, as Reynolds mentioned, we will have a missions conference where we'll have a a guest speaker come and i'm really excited i just want to tag on briefly to reynolds encouragement and exhortation for you to be part of next weekend Uh, our guests are eric and ellen peters and they are the uh, new international directors for pioneers which is a church planting uh, organization and in particular church pioneers looks to plant churches and Christian communities in parts of the world that are very underserved with the gospel where there's very little Christian witness. Pioneers is one of those organizations that globally is doing a tremendous work for the gospel. And uh, through their friendship with Frank and Elaine Sochet, who are members of this church, who they served with as missionaries in China years ago, we have become friends with the Peters and they will be here speaking with us. And I you know, just, of course, returning from Haiti and seeing the great need and then seeing how God has blessed us as a church. I want you to know how deeply important we feel as pastors and elders of the church, how deeply embedded in our sort of DNA as a church we feel like missions is. And by missions, we don't just mean foreign missions, going to Haiti or somewhere else or China or wherever, as important as that is but also just our, our sense of this responsibility that God has given us as a people to be a blessing to our world, to proclaim Jesus, to be a sort of display of the gospel. And next week in particular, we will gather and be encouraged by these wonderful people, the Peters and some other missionaries that will be with us, to think more deeply about that. Um, it's a really important time for us as a church, and I really want you to be there beyond just coming to church on Sunday morning, which of course is very important. But if you are able, I would really love for you to be there Friday night and Saturday as well. Well, let's do this. Let's, let's, so here's what we're going to do today. Um, I lost my train of thought midway through. Um, we're going to finish up Ephesians chapter 4, and then a couple weeks we'll get back into Ephesians 5. But today we're going to use Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 as a sort of springboard to look at uh, our life together as a church and how we are desiring and wanting to pursue biblical community, how we are, are really going after doing life together beyond just gathering as a large group of several hundred people on a Sunday morning. For the past seven years, in fact, this April will be our seventh anniversary as a church for the past six and a half seven years we have um, had various types of small groups previously we've called them life point groups and we're kind of making a tweak and a bit of a of a change in our group life and we're going to sort of redo them as community groups which i'm going to explain a little about today and today we're going to use this scripture as a sort of platform to think about how we as a growing church that's gone from just 20 or 30 people to several hundred people, how we can pursue and, uh, and, and, and do biblical community better for the sake of our own souls and for the sake of our corporate ability to display the gospel. And so that's what we're going to do today. Well, let me pray and read the scripture and then we'll work our way back through it. Oh, Lord, thank you for this, this day, for your grace in Our lives it just staggers me to think that in a few months we will be seven years old as a church and it staggers me to think about in spite of in particular my folly and naivete and ignorance and foolishness in many instances along the way you have in spite of that blessed this church and you have given us much you've entrusted us with the stewardship of your gospel to be a radical, generous people who whose heart 's desire is to make much of Jesus, not just to hoard for ourselves spiritual blessings, and so Lord, help us today as we as we zero down in on this particular text at the end of Ephesians four, help us to think deeply and humbly about what it means for us as the church to pursue community help us avoid um, a certain sort of pride about or arrogance about the way other churches may do it we know Lord that there are many different ways for churches to work out these issues and this is just one imperfect way that we are trying to do it here and so Lord would you give us a sort of humility would you give us an earnestness to think about these things but ultimately, like every Sunday, today's just not one about one particular facet of the Christian life community. Today it's ultimately about what you, Lord, have done in Christ on the cross for us and how we might, as a church, display that better. There are people in this room who know Jesus who need to be encouraged. Father, would you encourage them? And Lord, I know without a doubt there are people in this room with a crowd this size that are not yet followers of jesus some of them think they are lord but they're not some of them know they're not followers of jesus and today they've come wondering and seeking an answer lord would you be so kind as to do the greatest miracle of all and to cause a dead heart to come alive so that they might be able to see jesus would you cause lives and hearts to pass from death to life today by the power of your word and your holy spirit and I pray that you'd glorify yourself and encourage your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me read Ephesians 11 through 16, then we'll kind of work our way back through it and, and, uh, and settle on uh, a bit of an explanation about a new, sh- a new emphasis in community life at Crosspoint. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 11, picking up where Will left off, and by the way, if you didn't if you weren't heard that here last Sunday, I listened to Will's message yesterday. I was joking about his, his second message there for, just for me. But he just did a fantastic job of, of, of taking the first 10 verses of Ephesians as a real exhortation to actually live out the gospel and not just be hearers of the word, but to actually put it into practice. And so if you, if you missed that, I really encourage you to get that CD or the podcast. Well, this is what Paul says in verse 11. when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love well before we work our way back through this and make a few brief points and then kind of look at community at crosspoint i want to just sort of summarize what i think this paragraph is about this paragraph is is i think a real simple statement that jesus has given the church gifts and it mentions those gifts that, it says that there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Jesus has given these people, these people gifts to the church so that the church can equip itself and build itself up so that the church can grow and be a more accurate, clear embodiment or representation of Jesus to the world Because the very thing that the world needs is a picture of the beautiful, all-worthy, irresistible majesty of God, which is most clearly pictured to us in the person and work of Jesus. And so this whole paragraph is just a, a, a sort of brief summary of what God's heart is for the ministry of the church and how that should work out, that he's given the church not only spiritual gifts that we read about and studied a few months ago when we were working our way through 1 Corinthians, but he's also given them people gifts who in particular are there to serve the equipping and the discipleship and the building up of this church so that they can do that to each other and for each other so that this particular group of people called the church, which finds its expressions in all sorts of different local churches, can be a sort of growing, beautiful, more clear, accurate representation of the body of Christ, which in turn God uses to make himself lovely and worthy and draws people to himself through that picture of this body of Christ. That's what this paragraph is about. And so let's kind of work our way back through just a few points before we settle down on what, how we're pursuing that at cross point here he says there in verse 11 that he gives these these five specific things apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers now now i don't think this list is conclusive i think that there's other people that god gives to the church as a group for example we read in first timothy three and in other places in titus that he gives also deacons that's not mentioned there so we shouldn't see this list as exhaust exhaustive in fact in the new testament when paul mentions spiritual gifts or people gifts like he does in first corinthians 12 and 14 and Romans chapter 12 and 1 Peter chapter 4. Those lists, I think, are are not in any case exhaustive, but a a sort of uh, picture of what God gives to the church. And so um, there he says he gives apostles and prophets. And just by brief way of explanation of what these are, apostles and prophets kind of go together in Paul's thinking in the letter of Ephesians. He mentions them in Ephesians chapter 2. He also mentions them in Ephesians chapter 3, and they are sort of the foundation upon which the church is built. Now, I think in the Bible, there's different sort of classifications of apostles and prophets. I think what Paul is speaking about here is the the apostles of Jesus, the 12 apostles of Jesus, who were his 12 uh, closest ministry associates who who witnessed his resurrection. One of them dropped out at the end, remember Judas, and then they chose Matthias to replace him. And then Jesus's half-brothers, and then Paul, who becomes a witness to Jesus's resurrection later on in Acts chapter 9. So there's this dozen, plus a few others, in the New Testament, who have this special authority to be that are sent by Christ and they carry with them a sort of special one-time authority in the history of redemption. And through these men, through this dozen plus a few others, comes what we know to be the New Testament. All of those men have died. They're dead. They're no longer with us. And so I think that's probably what Paul is referring to here because there are a few other times in the New Testament where Paul will mention the apostles of the churches, which I don't think carries with it the same authority as those few men, but it speaks then to people who are are sort of pioneers of ministry of the church. And so what I think Paul is speaking about here is the church is served by this special gift of men, these apostles, and then also these early prophets who were called by God to, in particular, be proclaimers, and sort of the first mouthpieces of the apostles' teaching, which was the doctrine of the gospel that we know now of as the New Testament. And so that phrase, apostles and prophets, when Paul uses it here, I think is a sort of one-time grouping of people in the history of redemption that existed in this time, and those men have died. Now, that's not to say, as we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 a few months ago, that there's not the gift of prophecy, which is still, I think, uh, is still active in the church today. But the apostles and prophets that Paul is speaking about here, um, these men were a sort of one-time um, uh, a gift of God for the establishment of the church. So, so just as a minor little thing, because I know some of you watch Christian TV, um, if somebody calls himself an apostle or a prophet... Um, you should probably turn the channel. Okay, I could go longer on that, but um, I think you guys have been around long enough to know that that gives me a sort of nervous tick anytime I watch or think about, or even talk about TBN. All right, anyway, let me keep going. And so he gives apostles and prophets, and he gives then evangelists, people who have been particularly gifted to to spread the gospel, especially to, to unbelievers. And shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers, and, and, and many commentators think that those word groups kind of go together. And, and sort of the thinking there is, is that he has given pastors, shepherds, to the church. And really all pastors really are teachers, although not all teachers are pastors. But there's this group of people that feed the body of Christ, the faith, That is, it says in Jude, has once and for all been handed down to us. And so so that's why my primary job is to teach the Bible. It's not to teach you life techniques. The primary job of the pastors and elders here is to teach doctrine, to teach the truth of the Scriptures. And Paul is saying here in verse 11 is that these particular people, these offices have been given to the church as a gift. For what reason? And he says that in verse 12. He says, to equip saints For the work of ministry, to help disciple people and to raise up other leaders that in turn can actually do the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's something I want you to see there in verses 12 and 13, is that he gives these people gifts to the church, So that those people, those leaders, apostles, prophets, who had this sort of, I think, special one-time role in redemptive history, and then pastors and teachers and evangelists, who now are here to equip, to encourage, to preach, to teach, to counsel, to disciple, to edify the body of Christ, so that they then can actually do ministry to each other and to the world. And then, as they do this ministry, they're building up the body of Christ, and they're actually growing in unity and knowledge in the Son of God into maturity, into this fullness of Christ. And so I think that it's, and we'll get to this in a second, it's kind of a uniquely American sort of mindset that church is a kind of a place where we kind of consume and, and, and feed and eat. But it's clearly here what Paul is saying is, is that the leaders of the church are given to equip the people of the church so that they can actually do ministry to each other and to the culture around them. And then he says in verse 14, not only so that we may grow and mature, but so that we are no longer victims of culture and wind and, and forces that want to blow us and uproot us from being rooted in Christ. He says so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, there is an enemy out there who wants to uproot you, who wants to blow us off of course, who wants to destroy the foundation that Christ is building in our lives by confusing us. And as we disciple one another in the teaching of the Bible and in living it out, it, it's like it takes our foundation and it drills it down so that we are stronger when the winds of life and culture and deception blow against us and friends, they will blow in fact, that was just as a sort of word picture that that is what we were doing in haiti the The sort of standards of construction in in Haiti were not very good in many instances, and in the particular building that we were rebuilding are are still in the process of rebuilding, one of the problems was, as I understand it, and i don 't know much i mean I know nothing about construction i i, 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 I wouldn't I mean, before I started doing these construction steps a few years ago, I would know a piece of rebar if it hit me over the head. And then I'd know because that thing is thick and heavy. But one of the things I've learned is that what makes a building strong is that its, it's foundation, its footings, it goes down deep. And one of the things we were doing in Haiti was I guess they had poured the slab of this particular building that crumbled in the earthquake. The slab was only just a few inches deep and so the columns when the building shook it just kind of collapsed and thankfully in this particular building which was which was a, the biggest building there on site there was nobody in it uh, it just flattened just rubble complete if anybody would have been in that building would have killed them. and of course that happened all across haiti and other buildings but what we were doing after they had cleared off this rubble was 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 basically pouring columns that were much deeper and so you saw with the saw there jason branch and i had to, with a saw, cut concrete that had already been poured because it wasn't deep enough. And then Dan Rice, who's a chaplain in the army who's here at the church for about a year, had a crew of about six of the hardest working people on the planet, these Haitian workers, and they were just busting up this concrete and digging it down about three or four feet so that we could pour the concrete deeper down to make this column more rooted, stronger, And that's what what should happen every time we gather, and that's why we open up the Bible. That's why we connect in community, because the goal is to not just sort of come here and participate in a little Sunday morning religious, religious game, but what we're doing as we plod through the Scriptures, what we're doing as we handle difficult truths, what we're doing every time we open up this book, every time we serve each other, it's like we're with a shovel digging deeper so that the cement of god's grace and maturity can go deeper in the lives of every person in this room because friends earthquakes will come wind will blow faith will be tested trial will hit each one of us and so every time we open up this book look we're not just trying to get through a sermon we're not just trying to get through a sunday we're not just trying to, to, to sort of appease ourselves with, with cute little truths that, that start with the same letter that we can put up on a, you know, a, a refrigerator. And, and if you come from a church where the pastor starts and alliterates things, I think that's fine. I'm sorry. I don't want any emails from you. Uh, I know it can be helpful. Uh, I, I know it can be. I just don't do it that way. But the point is, is that we, we come here to dig the foundation of Christ's likeness deeper in uh, that. And, and friends. Oftentimes, that can be very sort of ordinary and unspectacular. But the American church, a lot of times, just I think it's just addicted to entertainment and lip gloss and glitter when, when foundation work will put calluses on your hands. And it'll wear out your back, and it'll bust your knee up. Man, I've been limping around since I got back from Haiti. I don't know what Jeremy, Jamie Herndon did to me, but I know I'm going to the doctor this week, and if I need to have surgery on that knee, I'm filing workers' comp with Jamie Herndon <laughs> Construction Company. <laughs> Man, I'm getting old. <laughs> I can barely walk. And so he says that we don't want to be tossed, and that's what the Word and community does for us. And then, And then in verse 15 he says, no, no, as opposed to that sort of negative example he gives there, we speak the truth and love to each other because we want to grow up, in verse 15, we want to grow up together into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I would just add a sort of, Parentheses here, not to add on to the Word of God, but if we read the rest of the Bible, we get the purpose for this body growing. Our, our goal is to not just grow so that we're more knowledgeable Christians or that we're stronger in and of ourselves, but our, the ultimate goal is this, so that we would be a more clear and strong picture of the body of Christ so that it would bring glory to God and it would be used by God to draw people to himself and joy to our souls. So again, just to summarize, the point of Ephesians four eleven through 16 is that Jesus has given the church gifts so that it can build itself up and equip itself so that it can grow and become a clearer and better and more beautiful display of his worth to the world, which in turn he uses to draw people to himself. Now, I think that this text is just advocating it's just screaming out that the church must pursue biblical community and we're going to talk about that here in just a second but before we do that let me just offer a few enemies of community in our day enemies to living like this text calls us to live in a sort of way where we are where we are serving one another so that we are all growing up together in christ what are the enemies of community in our culture. Well, the first is, and we're going to list them up there, is that just this default consumerism that I think is innate in every American. I think it's just we're born into it. We just kind of walk into churches, relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, schools, businesses, with this mindset of what, what is in it for me. The customer is right in America. That's what, cap- that fuels capitalism. And I'm not, I'm not busting on capitalism. You know, I, I don't I don't even have a thought on that, I don't, I'm don't. just not one of those guys, whatever, it's what I was going into, it sounds good to me, although I do have a great, no, nah, I won't go, I, I, I'm just, I have actually a great uncle who was the communist mayor of, uh, he's actually a great, great uncle, and his name was Crescenzo Evangelista, and he was the Italian communist mayor of the little village that my family came from, <laughs> um, so anyway, so uh, anyway. I don't know where that came from. I'm still recovering from Haiti. But anyway, I'm, I'm all for capitalism, I guess is what I'm saying. But do you realize what kind of growing up in a place where the Cokes are always cold and the air conditioning always works and the food is always fast and the cable always works and the seats are always comfortable? Do you realize over time, what subconscious effect that has on us as a people. It, it just builds into us a sort of innate selfishness and consumerism that we carry over into every other area of life, and we bring it into the church, and we just demand. We demand. We demand good music, good preaching programs, everything that kind of caters to my lifestyle. And one of the enemies of biblical community, one of the enemies of the Christ life, is this sort of default consumerism that exists in every one of us, friends. It exists in me, and it exists in you. We need to be aware of that. Two, one of the enemies, the great enemies of community in our day and age is the busyness and our pace of life. We're just, are we not just scrambled? Are we not just going every which way but loose? Now, I want to be, be, I, I, I be cautious here, because I know that some of us are truly very busy, But are we just going to give into that and just sort of let that riptide kind of pull us out to sea and just sort of throw our hands up and say, all I can do is Sunday morning. All I can do as far as my Christian life and living it out is just kind of checking in on Sunday morning. Or are we going to fight against (coughs) that current that our culture pulls us? It pulls on us, man. I mean, there, there's so much pressure on young parents today to have their kids involved in every little youth sport or activity or after-school club. Man, I mean, God forbid our kid can't throw a curveball by the time he's in the sixth grade. <laughs> I mean, we just there's this pressure on parents. And we, we, we're just, it's like we're living vicariously through our kids so often because we're insecure and we want our little kids to be cuter and more involved and smarter and in this reading program and in this magnet thing and humana, humana, humana. And it's just, it's just, we all do it, man. We just play out our insecurities through our children and we just we just use them as sort of little trophies to run from place to place to place and most of the time the kids just get burnt out and they just want to breathe, man. And then I, I think just to, to just the busyness, this sort of restless insecurity of the modern age, and postmodern age, just it grips every one of us in this room. We're busy people. Yes, we are. But is, is that going to be our testimony? Is that going to be our the verdict on things for us to just sort of throw our hands up and say we're busy? Peter Kreft is an author, and he uh, wrote a book called Christianity for Modern Pagans, and in it he was sort of summarizing the thoughts of a French Christian philosopher, Blaise Pascal. In fact, uh, uh, Wayne referred to him a couple of weeks ago. This is what what Peter Kreft says as he's thinking about Blaise Pascal's thoughts about sort of the modern busyness of life. This is Peter Kreft. He says, we ought to have much more time, more leisure than our ancestors did because technology, which is the most obvious and radical difference between their lives and ours, is essentially a series of time-saving devices. In ancient societies, if you were rich, you had slaves to do the menial work so that you could be freed to enjoy your leisure time. Life was like a vacation for the rich because the poor slaves were their machines. But now that everyone has slave substitutes, in other words, machines, iPhones, computers, iPads, all sorts of stuff, why doesn't everyone enjoy the leisurely, vacationing lifestyle of the ancient rich? Why have we killed time instead of saving it? This is what his, his theory is. He says, we actually want to complexify our lives. We don't have to, but we want to. We wanted to be harried and hassled and busy. Unconsciously, we want the very things we complain about. For if we had leisure, listen to this, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hold in our hearts and be terrified. Because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. So we run around like conscientious little bugs Scared rabbits, dancing attendants on our machines, our slaves and making them our masters. We think we want peace and silence and freedom and leisure, but deep down we know that this would be unendurable to us, like a dark and empty room without distractions, where we would be forced to confront ourselves. If you are typically modern, your life is like a mansion with a terrifying hole right in the middle of the living room floor. So you paper over the hole with a very busy wallpaper pattern to distract yourself. You find a rhinoceros in the middle of your house. The rhinoceros' wretchedness and death. How in the world can you hide a rhinoceros? Easy. Cover it with a million mice. Multiple diversions. Now that may not be the case for every person in this room, but I think this describes the modern soul well. We're so insecure. I mean, what if, what if the people in this room really knew what a wreck my marriage is? What if the people in this room realized that my kids aren't perfect and that I'm struggling with this and or that? What if the people in this room knew what a train wreck my soul is? And so, what do we do? We we cover it with distance. We we give community the elbow because God forbid we actually run to the very thing that the scripture that we have read is said is the healing balm. It's the only source of life that can pull us out of that riptide. Friends, Reynolds referred to it earlier, even just jokingly. But it is a sort of mantra here. It is okay to be not be okay at this church if anything that we want to fight against here is just sort of the religious silliness of putting up a face like we're all okay. Look, there are parts of all of our lives that are train wrecks. All of our lives. They're part of my, my life is full of hypocrisy. (laughs) My life is full of yet to be sanctified aspects of my soul. Just this morning, man, I wanted to pick one of my kids up. He shall remain nameless. And I wanted to throw him through a window because he was being a little stinker. And then I wanted to, well, I'll stop there. <laughs> and then thirdly, as far as enemies of community, we have an abundance of options. Well, I think this is huge. We just have so many sneaking options. You know, we've got so much to do. Some of us are wealthy enough where we can just, we've got stuff to do two out of four weekends. And, Every night of the week, we got places to go. We got—we just got stuff to do. No, don't just—let's not just hang this on you know, the upper middle class or upper class that can go jet off on some weekend. Let's hang this on all of us, man. We—we've got TV shows to watch, right? We've got DVRs. We got stuff recorded, man. We've got must-see TV on Thursday night. We or whatever it is. We got, stu- we, got, we got little gadgets to suck the life right out of us, man. We have an, we have an abundance of options that, that just feed our desire to divert our lives so that we don't do the hard work of kind of actually getting to know each other, carving out time so that we actually grow together in Christ. And these three things, friends, they're, they're just enemies. They're enemies of my soul. They're enemies of your soul. And these are three things that I, and my life, man, I, I fight. I fall victim and pray to these things all the time. And I think that on some level, all of us do. And so then finally, to end this, h- how are we trying to pursue biblical community at Crosspoint? Well, in the past, we've, we've done what we call life point groups. And we think that they have served us well at Crosspoint. But we're making a few changes to our group life and to, to sort of just kind of shift our paradigm and our mindset and let everybody know that we're sort of changing. We're we're gonna sort of rename our life point groups and call them community groups, which I think will I think serve us better. They may be an adjustment for us as a church, but I think they'll serve us better. So what are the what's the big difference between what we have been doing and what we're going to be doing? Well, for the past five or six years, our Life Point groups have been sort of driven around or sort of coupled around the interest of the particular leader. And so a group could kind of do whatever they want. They could kind of study anything that they wanted to that was kind of approved by the church and whether it be just a particular interest or maybe it was fellowship and it was kind of driven by the interest of the leader or the group of people, which served us well. That did well during the time of our church's early growth. But I think what unwittingly we were doing was really kind of reinforcing consumerism because we're having new people come to the church and all these sort of groups are kind of off kind of doing what sort of interests them rather than thinking a little bit more biblically like Ephesians 4 is telling us to do to, to kind of gather and sort of be outward focused on one another rather than on kind of our little area of interest. They were also sort of primarily unintentionally driven by demographics and so we kind of had the the young, single females doing a little study group, and then the kind of the empty nesters over the age of 50, and then all the couples between the ages of 28 and 34 that had kids in preschool, and and then there was kind of the 40-year-olds that had kids that were kind of teenagers. And sort of unwittingly, we were sort of grouping based on demographics, which I think affinity can be a good thing. I mean, meeting people in sort of your zone of life is is a very helpful thing. But when that becomes kind of the engine that drives the train, what I think we realizes that we were sort of siphoning off the generations and as psalm 145 says that one generation could mend your works to another we we just were sort of crippling our ability for old people to interact with young people and single people and married people and we were kind of unintentionally dividing up the congregation in in a sort of I think ultimately unhealthy way and also um, there was in our LifePoint groups, finally, just kind of very little emphasis by us as leaders. None of this has been anybody's, you know, nobody was doing anything wrong. But there's really very little emphasis on actual mission, like us as a group of people thinking about how we might impact our city, our neighbors, and the culture around us for the gospel. And so those three areas in particular were sort of making changes. And we're now reforming our groups and calling them community groups. And these community groups will be based around not individual topics kind of all over the map, and much of that was good stuff that went on, but now these community groups will really rally around a weekly discussion guide that is a sort of Bible study on the text of Scripture that we have gone through on a Sunday morning. And so this week, there's a discussion guide on the back table there that is a Bible study uh, that, that, that Wayne primarily prepares every week that is a discussion guide for the groups to go deeper in that particular text it 's not a discussion guide just on my sermon hopefully what 's discussed or whoever 's preaching that will help propel discussion but it 's really a, a sort of discussion slash Bible study on the text that we as a church are working through so that we can actually take the text that we go through as a church and go deeper with it and then secondly. We want groups to not necessarily just be sort of all young marrieds or all single females or all single guys or all empty nesters in their 50s or 60s. We want it as best we can, and we're not going to assign people. We want to, as best we can, just push on groups and leaders to sort of have a kind of global view of the whole church, and we want any particular group to just sort of be a cross-representation of The church with some old people, some young people, some single people, some married people, and people kind of in between because we think that it's a healthier sort of mix of people to get together and really commend generation to generation the works of God. And finally, there will be much emphasis as we've been training the leaders to think much more about how we as groups can live on mission rather than to just come and maybe do a Bible study and think about how This might apply to us, which is very important. But then also to think about very simple and strategic ways that we as groups can actually live out our faith as a display to our neighbors and our city and our culture around us. And so four brief words about what community groups are all about. Number one, they're about the gospel. They're about just pointing each other towards christ and reminding each other about what god has done in christ christians do this for one another when we get together in a group and we see how god is blessing and maturing or some particular brother or sister is going through a struggle we collectively it is our responsibility not just mine or the other pastors or the elders to remind each other about the gospel secondly community groups are all about discipleship And again, that is collectively our joint responsibility to hold each other accountable and help each other grow for one generation to commend God's works to another, for a man to get with a younger man, for a woman to get with a younger woman, and just speak words of life and encouragement and accountability into the soul of another fellow believer. Thirdly, community groups are about caring for one another. It's about serving one another in a tangible way with meals or just presents and prayers, acts of service. Serving one another with words of wisdom and counsel. And friends, as this church has grown, we have realized that that is a huge, huge need for us. And I can just kind of give a little parenthesis and say that this is one area as the church has grown that I in particular as your pastor have not served you well. In the early years of Crosspoint, when we were just 30, 40, 50, 100, 150 people, um, I, everybody knew me, I knew everybody, everybody knew Reynolds, everybody, it just, but as we have grown, it, quite frankly, we've just done a poor job of empowering people and teaching that it's not all about kind of receiving pastoral care from just one or two or three individuals. And really, because of my negligence and because of my lack of wisdom in this area, I have hurt people in this church. I have let them down because I've been trying to do too much and have not done a good job of creating a culture where care, care for one another, is a sort of body responsibility. And as a result, I've, I've hurt people. I've hurt people pretty, pretty badly in this church because I've, just, I've been multiplying mice with diversions and scurrying from one thing to the next. And part of the way that I've not done that well is by not leading and shepherding a culture of community and encouraging this sort of culture where we all care for one another. Now, that is happening all over this church. I'm not saying in any sense that people aren't caring for one another. But what we need to do is weave this more deeply into the fabric of who we are so that the community groups, prayers, and acts of service and counsel and wisdom is just... It, it's, it's the front line of life together. And we need, quite frankly, as the church has grown from 50 to over 500, we need to do this much, much better. And that has, that has been all on me. The fault there, the neglect there has been all on me. And finally, what are community groups all about? Is they're about mission, about not just gathering together for a Bible study or to acquire knowledge about a particular issue or topic in life, as good and important as that is. But it's about then taking the growth that we all experience as individuals in a corporate group setting and then displaying that, going out on mission into our city, displaying Jesus to an onlooking world, always having room for a newcomer newcomer to the group, an unbeliever or a seeker or an unconnected Christian that's not part of another church in our community and collectively thinking, about simple and strategic ways that each individual group can serve our city and our neighbors so that we all become a better and more beautiful picture of Jesus in our city. Now, friends, um, why is all of this important? Because we just want to care for one another and we just want to do life together and we want to grow. No, ultimately, this is not about growth or discipleship or caring for one another primarily. Primarily, it is about the gospel and displaying Jesus. So that we as a group of pardoned rebels, humble, pardoned rebels, whose lives have been redeemed and saved by our faith in what God has done in Christ on the cross, can be a sort of witness a life-giving aroma to a culture around us that is sinking, sinking in sin. Friends, we have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity as a church to be the type of place that God sends hurting souls to, that God sends people that are on the outskirts of society, that God sends people whose lives on the outside look like they have it all together, but deep down inside they are crumbling. We, as a church, have an opportunity to be the type of place that God sends, not because we have anything spectacular going on. Do you see the simplicity of biblical community? Not because we have the rock wall. Not because we have the great thing. Or Not because we have the shish, bam, boom, ba program. And I'm sure those things are helpful in other contexts, friends. I'm not, I'm not railing against anything else. But simply how this humble, pardoned group of redeemed rebels live together by the sort of unspectacular way that they present the clear, spectacular grace of God becomes, friends, it becomes so beautiful. It becomes so, it becomes so irresistible that God will see fit to bring people to it so that they can taste and see that the Lord is good simply by how this little group of dusty, pardoned rebels does life together. Friends, I, I can't, I can't think of a more fulfilling, wonderful thing to give the rest of your life to. I can't think of anything that is more worthy. I can't think of, I can't think of anything I'd rather do than brush up against you and get hurt by you and forgive you and hurt you and have you forgive me and how we just sort of mess through life together with this sort of grace-saturated, God-infused, gospel-centered life together, how that collectively, literally, how we actually do life together as a church, how God can use that as an evangelistic tool to an onlooking world. I, 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 that's it for the next 40 years for me. And, and I'm asking you, I'm asking you to do the same. If you've been at this church for a long time, And you're in a mode, and it's become comfortable, and you've been here since the beginning, and you haven't really connected. In a couple weeks, when we roll out and advertise our community groups, would you? Would you put your chips in the in the middle? Would you get outside of the set of friends that you've had for the past three or four years? If you're newer to this church, and man, it's scary. And we look like we're a group of people that have it together. We don't, man. We're train wrecks. I know these folks. They're train wrecks. I'm a train wreck. You've, you've, you've come to the train wreck. So it's okay to be a train wreck. Would you would you come, man? Would you bring your baggage and your junk and would you hitch up to this train let's do life together? For those of you that maybe these changes are, are kind of causing a little you know, dissonance for you and you're kind of wondering and you're thinking, ah, I don't know, what's going on there? All these changes, changes, changes. Man, for the next 30, 40 years, we're going to have to change. And this isn't the, I mean, this, we'll make tweaks along the way. Would you give it a shot? Would you do life together for the sake of the glory of Jesus and his gospel so that together we can do a great work? So that together... We can see Jesus make much of himself through this church, man. I mean, come on, that, that's got to be God. We're messed up, man. I'm telling you, we've made, just come to one of our meetings, you'll be like, oh, that's grace. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's grace. That's grace. And what a joy. What a joy. What a joy. Well, in just a moment, we're going to receive communion together as, as a body. If you're a believer in Jesus, whether you're a member of this church or not, you are welcome to receive communion with us. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, this is a family meal. It really wouldn't do you any good. It's just an empty sort of symbol for you. But here's here's what it means to be a Christian if you're not yet a Christian. It means that you are trusting in what Jesus has done alone for your right standing with God. I mean, by the fact that you're here on a Sunday morning, I think you probably acknowledge that there's a creator and a God. And here's the gospel. The gospel is, is that we've offended that God. We've turned our own way. No, maybe for most of us, not some sort of egregious public sin. Maybe you've never hurt anybody seriously or done some crazy sort of wild sin. But all of us, the Bible says, have offended God. We've turned away. We have committed the highest act of treason that there is. We have, we have all trusted in ourselves rather than our creator the bible calls this sin and that sin has grave consequences it separates us from god it kills us spiritually and it renders us completely unable to make ourselves right before him and the good news of the gospel is is that jesus came and lived a perfect life he's god in the flesh and where we disobeyed and rebelled and trusted in ourselves jesus was perfect and righteous and obeyed god and trusted in god's word and law he He became the perfect, righteous human being. And then he laid down his perfection voluntarily on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And on the cross, Jesus received the punishment that should have been yours and mine and all who would call upon Jesus. And he extinguished it. He didn't just make salvation possible. He actually saved his people on the cross he satisfied God's holiness and wrath and he rose again in victory over sin and death and all of its consequences and now is alive and he commands all people everywhere to turn from trusting in themselves, to turn from broken pleasures and to trust in him, to trust in what he alone has done and friends, that's what it means to be a Christian, not to be perfect, not to clean yourself up because I just explained to you, you can't clean yourself up. You are unable to make yourself right before God. But the spectacular good news of the gospel is that Jesus has satisfied God's holiness and now is able to give life to your dead heart. So have you heard that? Do you hear that? Do you have ears to hear is your heart even awake to that good news? Then, friends, I believe that's evidence that even right now Jesus is making you alive by the power of his Holy Spirit. He right now is giving you faith. He's causing your eyes to open. He's causing your heart to finally beat. So what do you do now? You don't run to God with your relative good works. You trust in the only good work that will save, which is Jesus' death. And burial, and resurrection. Look to him right now, friend. Look to him right now. Trust in him. Believe in him. Repent. Turn from trusting in yourself and believe in Jesus. And if you're doing that even right now, the Bible says that you are born again, that you are saved. You're welcome to receive this meal with us. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to pray. And we're going to stand. The ushers will come direct us. If you're in the middle section, that's your table right there. You can just middle, first aisles will file through. And if you're on the end sections, you can go to the table on the edge and the ushers will direct you. I love you. I love this church. I, I love being your pastor. And um, I, I want to give the balance of my life to doing biblical community with you for the sake of his name and the joy of our hearts. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we come now to your table, I pray that my, my brothers and sisters and friends in this room, um, that we together would, would see the heart of what you're calling us to in this portion of Ephesians. To live together in such a way that we reject the brokenness of our culture the selfishness of our culture and that we lay down our rights for one another and for the sake of your name and your gospel. Lord, would you help us as a church do that well? What an opportunity. Lord, you've blessed us. It's just mind-boggling what you've done for us in spite of, of our folly and ignorance and immaturity. And God, it just makes me think that you're, you're up to something here, that you, you want to use us for your glory in, in the coming years and significant ways in this city and in this world. So, Lord, would, would today be a, a sort of time when there's just a tick, there's a turn, there's a switch that kind of goes off in us as a church body to commit ourselves to community? Lord, would we we do that hard work? Would we roll up our sleeves? And Lord, for my friends that are in this room who came in here not yet followers and believing in Jesus, Lord, would you give them a new heart? Would you resurrect them from spiritual death and give them a heart to see Jesus so that they can trust in him and so that they can join this little merry band of pardoned rebels And so that they too can experience the joy of giving their lives to something far bigger than themselves. Lord, would you be so kind as to do that? I pray that you do it in Jesus' name. Amen.